Hey everybody, welcome to the Beautiful Shifts podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Chantel. We're so excited to share with you some inspiring stories. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now it's easier to walk I can see the road before me I am not afraid to fall Hello everybody. Um, today on our podcast, we um, feel honored to have Richard Osler, and I'm going to read a bio about him. And some of you might know him. He has his own podcast and some books that he's read. So I'll mention that um, right now in his bio. So um, Richard H. Osler is a former YSA bishop, speaks in church settings about how to fully embrace LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, see their gifts and contributions, and better understand their unique road. He is supportive of the church leaders and doctrine, and also how to better support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. He is the host of the Listen, Learn, and Love podcast, which provides a platform for Latter-day Saints to share their stories on many topics. He is the author of the book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, available at Deseret Book and Amazon. He is also the author of Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. This book explores how we can do better to help all Latter-day Saints feel more welcome, needed, and feeling of belonging in our congregations, also available at Deseret Book and Amazon. He is deeply committed to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to creating more understanding and support for LGBTQ members and all members walking a more difficult road. A goal started during his service as a YSA bishop as he learned to set aside past assumptions to better fulfill his stewardship responsibility to meet the spiritual needs of ward members walking unique roads. In addition to serving as a YSA bishop, stake young men's president, high counselor, and ward mission leader. He currently serves, um, currently serving as a temple worker. He has a BS from the University of Utah and an MBA from Brigham Young University and is a small business owner. Richard and his wife, Sheila, live in Salt Lake City, Utah and have six wonderful children and several grandchildren. Welcome, Richard. Yes, welcome. Thank you, Chantel and Lindsay. Glad to be here. And you two are doing good work. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, we're (laughs) excited to have you. And I loved seeing that picture you sent, which will go out on our page as well. But of all your kids, it was so fun to see. And you have a beautiful family. So thanks for sharing that with us. And yeah, we're just excited to get into your story. So, all right. So maybe we kind of like to start with just like a fun, interesting fact about yourself that maybe you could share with us in the audience to get to know you a little better. Well, I have a regulation golf green putting green in my backyard Um, because everybody said you can't put a real putting green in your backyard. And I did that in 2016 and I still have it. And it's kind of my landscaping hobby. I have a greens mower and have learned how to, you know, it's, so it's a real life putting green and uh, our boys growing up used it. And now I kind of just use it as a landscaping hobby and it's sort of my quiet space, even though I'm noodling around with the green. I putt and chip. I don't play a lot of golf, but I do spend a lot of time on my backyard putting green. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, my That's son cool. loves golf. He would love if we had one of those. I know. Backyard. My husband and my son would love that. <laughs> That's really and cool. For your listeners, don't do it. You have to be really <laughs> unusual. It's like, it's a big commitment, but if you're a golfer, don't do it. If you like to be in your backyard and do a landscaping project and mm-hmm. want to do it long term, you could do it. It's more of a landscaping <laughs> hobby versus exactly. golf. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. You got it, Lindsay. <laughs> That's cool. That's great, though. Maybe you, you could give us a little bit of your background, maybe where you grow up and your, you know, your siblings or. Yeah, I grew up in, I'm 61 years old, graduated from a high school in Salt Lake City, Highland High School, class of 79. Grew up in a traditional family, LDS family. I'm one of six siblings. My parents are alive. My dad's 91. My mom's like 89, doing good. That's great. Wow. And um, so that's kind of where I grew up. I have a career in business and and own a small business, but it allows me the flexibility as I'm kind of aging up closer to retirement to do some stuff outside of my core business, like the podcast I do and the books that I've written. That's really great. Yeah, that's and you awesome. said you had six kids. Yeah, six kids. Yeah, right. They live close, or are they all spread out. Well, they are. We just visited our daughter that lives in California with her only three grandkids. It, we're recording this right after Halloween, and we realized that our only grandkids live in California, and Halloween is the time that grandparents want to be around grandkids. So we just 
went trick-or-treated with them on Halloween oh, night in oh, that's Southern awesome. California and abandoned the trick-or-treaters coming to our house. And so, but the rest of our kids um, live in Utah, are connected to Utah. That's awesome. And so did you stay around, let's see, Highland, Highland area in raising your kids or where, where did you end up? We now live near um, south of Cottonwood High School or in the Cottonwood High School footprint for your listeners. They're in the Moira Salt Lake City. It's a very diverse school. My wife is from Houston and she grew up in a much more diverse world than I did in Salt Lake. And we kind of tried to figure out where to raise our kids. And we finally, because there's pros and cons between raising them in Utah or outside of Utah, but we really like the Cottonwood footprint because it's very diverse. Less than half the kids are white at Cotton, which is very unusual for a Salt Lake City school. And I'm not saying that is the right thing or the wrong thing for other families, but for our family, it really worked. Sort of prepared our kids for the real world just to be exposed to more diversity at the high school level than they would typically be exposed to in a sort of a Salt Lake City high school, or at yeah. least a Utah high school. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that's great. Um, yeah, we lived in California for 10 years, and it was a little bit like, oh, like, I loved the diversity there, and so I was a little bit nervous moving back to Utah. I mean, I loved living here, but I loved the things that my kids and I and my husband were able to kind of learn and be more loving, accepting of different just belief systems and cultures and stuff. So it was a good experience for sure. That is a neat thing about that Cottonwood area. In ways, I'm envious of that. We we live in Riverton, so it's a little less diverse, I would say, than up where you're at. But um, it is cool that there are places like that in Utah if you can find them. Yeah. a little more diverse. So that's great. That's awesome. So I guess maybe we'll just t- like say what, you know, the podcast is about different transitions in our life and shifts that we make. Um, do you want to maybe tell us what your shift was that we're going to talk about today? Well, my shift is uh, my relationship with LGBTQ people. Um, I grew up in a very homogeneous world in the 70s at Highland High School. I thought Zion is a term we use in our faith was sameness because everybody around me was the same. Um, We had the same housing. I didn't know anybody with mental illness. Everybody was in the same political party. Pretty much everybody was being raised by two parents with moms at home. And I could go down the list, but it was all the same. And I sort of thought that was really cool. In some ways it was. Um, But I've recognized that Zion to me is unity and diversity. And for me to get there, I had to be willing to listen to other people. And I didn't do much listening to gay people. I just kind of let straight people tell me about gay people. And then I was a YSA bishop and a couple of gay men bravely opened up to me about being gay. And the spirit rebuked me. It was one of the greatest rebukes of the spirit. I just got this feeling that you have let straight people define this group for you. You should let them define them for you. You should wipe your hard drive clean of everything you've ever learned because you've learned a lot of not maliciously but just innocently incorrect information and if you want to see them the way I see them meaning heavenly father our heavenly parents you ought to listen to them and you ought to be willing to be um, wrong and change your feelings and grow and learn so that you can better support this group they are my children they need people to love and support them Um, so that was the beginning of wanting to do that just to not add to the burdens of these gay men in my ward. But then it gradually, as I, as that assignment came to an end, I felt a real strong impression to step in this space um, to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints by amplifying their voices. It's kind of repentance in a way. I wasn't malicious, but I was uninformed. And so I'm partly doing this just to repent. <laughs> for all the things I thought and innocently said that were wrong. Um, So that maybe other people don't make the same mistakes I do and add to the burdens of LGBTQ people in our church and in society with my uninformed opinions. Well, that's beautiful because I think that's so important in so many areas in life. And that is a shift. (laughs) Yeah, that is a big shift. But to be open-minded enough to hear someone's story um, you know, and, and kind of change your perspective is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And there's just so many areas that can happen in our lives. So, yeah. Not falling back to that rhetoric that you just heard so much growing up. And I just admire you so much because I think 
it's a pretty unique thing to have like a straight white male in his 60s not only like want to change and create that safe space for these you know started out with these gay men in your ward but now like creating well I guess we will get to that maybe we don't want to jump to what you're doing um, publicly yet but anyway I just have a ton of respect for that I think it's really neat thank you Lindsay could you maybe share, I don't know, maybe like a specific story or something? I was just trying to think, so what do you think kind of started that shift in your mind? Is there a specific, I mean, besides talking to the gay men in your ward, but kind of the feeling from and the promptings, yeah, the yeah. promptings, because um, I'm sure it was a little bit scary because there is kind of a stigma and a... That's true. Did you feel like you were maybe going into some unfamiliar, scary territory. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting aspects to the story. I felt it was the doctrine of Christ that pulled me into the space. I looked at the ministry of Jesus and how he was with everybody and loved and supported everybody and didn't, I call it table fellowship, where he invited everybody to his table, um, which was a sign of acceptance that people in society said he shouldn't be inviting to dinner. Um, Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the Canaanite woman. So his ministry had always impacted me on how to treat others. And um, that was one kind of element. Another element is I, I've liked some of the my institute teachers and our church leaders. I'll quote a couple. Um, one of my favorite institute teachers, S. Michael Wilcox, says, in some matters it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will great, leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining a humility to learn. And I've, I've got a quote here from Elder Uchtdorf, um, which really resonated with me. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? So I am um, somebody who... Th- um, needed to get past the massive iron gate of what I thought I already knew about, you know, LGBTQ people and see them not as this other group of people, but as our own people, meaning Latter-day Saints that um, are walking a really often a difficult road. So that was kind of the foundation, I think, just to allow me to be curious. And then I recognized that I could be, I've just chosen to be completely supportive of the church, the teachings or doctrine. And I didn't have to sell that out to support LGBTQ people. I think culturally there's sort of been this tension between supporting the leaders and supporting gay people, even gay people that choose to leave our church. And I just felt like I could honor the individual agency of any LGBTQ person or any straight person in my life um, and walk with them on the road they felt was the right road for them and be completely supportive of the church and its leaders and our doctrine and just honor the doctrine of agency that's given to everybody. Yeah, that's beautiful. It took a while to kind of get to how do I navigate this, but that's how I've navigated it. Yeah. And I do think, you know, Christ, you know, his example of just reaching out to the marginalized in itself is, you know, very much in alignment of what you're saying. And that's important to you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, if, yeah, if we go back to those simple teachings of Christ, that can really bring that in. And then there are, you know, some really um, inclusive, supportive talks and quotes from our leaders that we can turn to or from the leaders of the church, you know. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And it is a difficult, it can be really difficult because I know there are people in your position and all of it, like a lot of people in this kind of situation where they think, you know, they find themselves in the church and want to be supportive of their LGBTQ friends and family, but how? So I think you're just doing a great example of showing how you can do that and still be a member, but, but be very loving and and inclusive. Cause I think sometimes people, um, they want to be that way, but it's easier just to kind of ignore the issue. You know what I mean? And kind of, because it's so hard to know, how do I speak out about this? And it can be taboo for a lot of people, I feel like I've gotten to where it doesn't feel that way for me anymore. And I can be vocal and say how, but I remember their time being that way, you know, about 10 years ago or so when I was still in a very, you know, mindset of, um, probably more, not even the way that my parents raised me, but just the culture that we lived in. And it's not that anyone was trying to be exclusive, but it just kind of, I guess, perpetuated and and became that way more and more. So, 
I'm talking too much, but no. <laughs> I'm with you, Lindsay. Is, yes, I, I think um, you're doing that in a really inclusive and loving way, and yeah, I just respect it a lot. So, all right, so should we talk about maybe the challenging parts of, of this? Like, do you feel, yeah, I was wondering if you yeah. like, I'm sure there's other challenging parts, but I kind of thought, was there pushback from anybody? Yeah, there's, I think there, I have received pushback and I'm okay with that. If it sort of takes, um, negative energy away from LGBTQ people, the, hmm. I think the pushback I got at first was just, you know, we don't usually proactively say kind things about LGBTQ people and our culture sort of like, wait a second, th- that infers that you're not supportive of the church or you're advocating for changes. And so I got some of that from my home ward when I came back to my YSA assignment, I actually gave a talk in my ward just about my experience. And I said kind things about LGBTQ people. And I got some people that complained to my mm. stick president about me and and that's painful. I don't know who those were, but it's kind of um, a little bit painful on social media. I get, um, especially Twitter, I get people that feel that because I'm talking about this, I'm not supportive of the church or doctrine. Um, but by far, most of the feedback I get is supportive. And um, I think a lot of Latter-day Saints and a lot of people in general are looking for principles to not divide us, but to bring us together. And there's certainly, I think, if people, one of the things I didn't understand is what the church was teaching when I first um, received my YSA assignment. Um, So I think one of the things I've been trying to do is just educate people what the church teaches. Um, I probably thought this was a choice (laughs) or that something had gone wrong and we could explain somebody that truly was born straight, but something happened to them to make them gay. And you and I have heard all these theories over the years about why someone's gay or has same-sex attraction. The church just doesn't teach that anymore. The church doesn't teach as you two know, and maybe your listeners that, you know, the church isn't asking people to become straight. It shouldn't be demanded or expected by leaders of themselves. So that, if you if you accept what the church teaches and it puts all the responsibility back on church members to create belonging, Um, It used to kind of be, well, this is your problem. You somehow, something went wrong here and you're not straight and you go figure it out and I'll just go my merry way. But if we believe people are born this way, um, then it's our responsibility to support, love, help, and really acknowledge the complexity of their road. So it's a complicated space, but to answer your question, at this point, I get very little sort of negative feedback. I don't get any feedback from ward or stake. I get people that are critical on social media, but that just goes with social media, I think. Yeah, yeah that's I think true. Anybody's going <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really um, like that. And I think it takes voices like yours that have, um, are starting to have influence and a following to change that because I think we most of us did grow up thinking that it was a choice. And I think that was you know, something that I'm not sure if it was intentional or unintentional, but maybe some of the leaders and stuff on a local level or maybe wider, you know, perpetuated, not me. It was just what they knew. So it was kind of all this stuff just being passed down from, you know, who, who knows where it originated talks and different things like that. And I do think there's still a lot of people out there that think that. And so, you know, you being out there and, and just saying what you just said, I think is making a big difference and will, it's just, we need to get that message out there. <laughs> yeah, I think especially in our neighborhood, I think the last couple of years we've had quite a few kids come out, um, you know, as gay or bisexual or lesbian, or, you know, on the LGBTQ. And um, I think it would be, um, I just want them to feel love and accepted for who they are. And I just hope that, and you know, as far as I can see, they're being treated well in our neighborhood and in the ward boundaries that are near us. But um, yeah, it's like, a, it's very passionate for me because... Um, I lived in California during Prop 8, and it was a really, it was a really hard issue for me. Um, to be honest, I didn't agree with the church leaders, and I feel like gay marriage should be legal, and it shouldn't be. I can understand where believing members come from and wanting to follow the prophet and the teachings and the doctrine, but I can also understand people that want to step away, you know, for those reasons or for other reasons. 
Um, I just think there should be a space for everyone for, to feel loved and to feel, you know, not marginalized or not accepted. Um, I read your brother's book, um, Bridges, and I think that's such an important work as well. And so it got me thinking, like, these two brothers that are out oh, yeah. there advocating for just love and acceptance and to, you know, kind of leave judgment behind, I just think that's so amazing and kind of wondered where where do you think that came from? You know, yeah. is it something you guys kind of played off each other? You, you know, discuss these things and you both had your passion. It sounds like his passion is <laughs> making people feel loved that leave the church. And your passion is to make the LGBT community feel loved. And I just think that's so yeah. amazing. That is. It really is. <laughs> well, thank you. I think that's Chantel. Is that right? Yes, that uh-huh. is. For, before I answer the question, um, thanks for being honest with your feelings about Prop 8. And just being honest with that and thanks I just sensed that it was out of love yeah, out of rebellion really or anger it was just out of love and I think a lot of members come into situations where they don't agree with where the church is on an issue or a topic or a policy or a legal position prop 8 was a legal position and I think I would just hope in creating Zion listeners that we create space for people that feel like Chantel and people that felt different about Prop 8. It's a legal issue. Um, And I think we need to give space for Latter-day Saints to have different feelings about legal issues. Most millennials, according, most LDS millennials, according to research I read, support legal same-sex marriage. They just look at it as a legal right. It's a legal issue. Now, they also feel I want to speak for all of them that religions have the right to decide the teachings of their church. But sort of part of religious freedom is perhaps giving people that are want to be in a legal same-sex marriage the right to do that and not see that as a threat to their agency and their path forward. Now, some would feel different, but I just hope that we, to me, back to sameness, it's Elder Cook's unity and diversity. It's it's looking at our congregations and saying it's not an extension of our political party. It's not an extension. It's a higher, holier law where we come together in our differences to help the poor and to help others and be safe and helpful. It's a place of less divisiveness, but it's not a place where we're all the same or we see everything the same, but we're unified in the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bless others. Um, so I just love you being vulnerable with how you felt about Prop 8. There's a lot of faithful people um, that were uncomfortable with that. And, you know, I recognize that I mean, we could talk about that, but I support the legal right for people to have a same-sex marriage. And I support church teachings, and I don't have a conflict there. <laughs> um, one's illegal, and one's sort of within my religion. Now, yeah. Could my religion change down the road? I It might. I don't invite people to make decisions in my faith thinking our faith doctrine may change down the road, but that's a whole other subject. Could ever our doctrine or policy change? Um, my brother and I didn't really talk a lot about this stuff. We both just kind of, we grew up in a family that really faithful, traditional LDS family. And um, eventually we realized we were kind of in the same spot that brought us to just be more thoughtful. He has adult children that no longer participate in the church, and he wanted to really understand that. He's a researcher by profession. That led him to sort of write this book, Ministering with Questions, and I had this experience as a YSA bishop listening to gay men. But perhaps the credit to our parents who are alive is just they laid some foundational building blocks within us to create some curiosity um, and some compassion and some understanding. I love that. I it made me think of the Walt Whitman quote that's be curious, not judgmental. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like that is kind of your theme. You know, you, you maybe had some preconceptions of the LGBT community and maybe your brother had preconceptions of those that leave. And then you became curious instead of judgmental, which led yeah. to you loving yeah. and being, you know, making feel people feel safe and loved. I love it. Yeah. Two quick little stories. On my mission, I remember knocking doors in England and and I would ask people about their religion. I I was genuinely interested and I also recognized if I perhaps found things that were uncomfortable about religion, I could connect them to our restored doctrine. But I was curious. 
my companions teased me they're going to convert you because I listened so much. <laughs> but I think that's maybe the first evidence as I was a little curious was just, you know, and I think it's good to be curious. Yeah, definitely. Well, I was just thinking about the preconceptions like you were talking about. Sometimes if we look back at where our preconceptions came from, it's usually other people. So then turning inward like you did and asking yourself and, you know, maybe praying or, or however you feel that connection to your true answer in the spirit, like, how do I really feel about this issue? You know, so take out all the learned things, whether it came from leaders or family or friends, you know, and if you really turn inward, I think we all have um, a desire to make people feel accepted and included. Most people that I know do, you know, we don't want to make people feel like outsiders. And when you hear people's individual stories, I think that's what's amazing what you're doing is then that's sometimes when it does kind of finally click. And so you learned that as a bishop and now you're giving people the opportunity to hear that through your podcast. So I think it's so cool because sounds like what kind of made it click for you was hearing from those men in your ward. So you're giving yeah. people that opportunity. So I really I mean, Brene Brown, who you probably know as a social scientist, she's been mm-hmm. very helpful for me. I believe she teaches principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to bring us together in our differences in a practical way. She has a number of things. People are hard to hate close up, move in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I call it the trap of unearned opinions. I'm not going to develop opinions about black teenagers and how they feel until I talk. I'm not going to talk to my white teenager to learn about black teenagers. Mm. I'm either going to talk to a lot of black teenagers or I'm not going to have opinions about black teenagers. I'm not going to have opinions about how women feel in the church until I talk to a lot of women and feel and get a feeling for some are having an incredible experience, but some aren't. And I don't want to make broad brush conclusions about talking to one or two. But I think this, uh, and I don't think it's a skill that's taught. I think men, we sort of look at, um, I think listening is something that's not particularly taught or valued in the church or maybe culture. The more I served in my YSA assignment, the more I interviewed the YSAs, the more listening I did in those interviews, the longer I served. And I've always felt sometimes the very best interview was when I listened to 70, 80 percent of the time. And often I just had to ask open ended questions um, to help the YSAs sort of figure out for themselves what they perhaps needed to do. And then they instead of shifting it always to me and my insights and my I did do that and I gave them suggestions and principles. But I think listening to other people often is just what they need to heal and move forward. If they've had a difficult experience, I my first reaction was used to be to defend the church, dismiss their experience. And then I've realized sitting with them in the pain of a difficult experience is ministering and validating their experience, even if I've never had an experience anything like it is just part of discipleship. And it usually doesn't drive the wedge between them and the church any deeper, it usually is the path to healing, is that somebody, particularly someone in authority, just validates how they feel and honors their lived experience. And it's just such a sign of grace and ministering. And I just look at that's what Jesus did. But we don't sort of talk about that too much in our LDS cultures, how to handle questions or how to handle somebody who's had a difficult experience or somebody that feels different about us. Those can feel threatening. But I think we can mature to just have better skills to honor people that feel different than us, but actually still want to belong with us. Brene Brown, back to her, she talks, and you know this, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So back to my LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, they try to fit in and into a heteronormative world and it gets exhausting. So they come out like some you mentioned, Chantel in your neighborhood, and often that's, then we can just love them for who they are. And they don't have to fake it anymore. And they everybody knows they're LGBTQ and hopefully everybody still loves them. And often that is belonging and is really healing to them. Um, but in our congregations, we have to, and in our circle, we have to realize there's probably closeted LGBTQ people listening to everything we say. So for you that are parents and have 
young kids or even teenage kids, I'd start to say kind things about everybody. Um, LGBTQ people, people with questions about our faith, people that have left our faith, people in different political parties. Um, yeah, there's boundaries to that. Um, but I think it creates, and you can still teach the doctrine of our church, but what it allows for your kids to do is open up to you about the realities of their lives because they know you're a safe person. You can even role play. You know, if you if you are LGBTQ and you come out to me, this is what I'll tell you. If you messed up and looked at porn or sloughed or swore or got in trouble at school or got or became sexually active, this is how I would respond. Yeah, those are the teachings of our family and our church. I'm not selling that out, but this is how I'd respond if you open up to me. And I think that's one of the greatest things we can do as parents or local leaders is to be able to walk with our kids or those we have stewardship over and and that they feel safe opening up to us about the reality of their lives versus not being able. So we can do that in our congregations and our in our families to create this culture of I'm a safe person for you. Yeah, I love that so much. I we've tried to be that way with our kids, you know, doesn't matter you know, Good. we want to know who you are and that we'll love you no matter. You do like you I love that you said about being careful what you say because I think it happens a lot that people have their misconceptions about LGBTQ and they happen to be the ones that become a parent of an LGBTQ kid later, you know, and it's a beautiful thing to see their, you mm -hmm. know, their mind change and become open and to accept and love them and to realize their wrong, you know, misconceptions and the things they said. But then there's some already pain there and already hurt there that can be, you know, forgiven and mended, but it'd be easier to go in without that if that comes yeah. to, you know, be part of your story. Yeah, and it's not going to confuse your straight kids to being LGBTQ if you've got a loving parent that's talking about this. Um, people right. don't want to be LGBTQ. It's a pretty brutal road generally. So um, don't have fear that talking about this is going to confuse your kids. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that. And it would be amazing if in like church settings, you know, there could be some sort of lesson or teaching, just teaching what you're teaching us right now, because I think, um, parents, they also don't do it uh, maliciously, you know, they're taught, this is how your kids should be behaving and acting, you know, and all those things that you mentioned. And sometimes it's that shock, like, oh, my kid just told me something that they did. And especially I think, you know, in years past, I think it's getting better and it's starting to become more how you're teaching, but, um, it's easy to have that initial reaction. And I think sometimes it can take a long time to mend those, those harsh words that were said. And it is, you know, takes a lot of therapy and, and not to say we all need therapy at some point, but if maybe if our reactions can be a little softer and more loving, it won't push our kids away. And yeah, and I feel like so many times when we react, it's out of fear. And, yeah. Yes. And a lot of fear is not being educated or being yes. open-minded. Yeah, and the fear for parents of thinking, well, does this mean my kid's going to leave the church or going to go down this path that I wasn't expecting for them, trying to like alleviate some of that fear. So I love that, and I hope that leaders are listening to you because they can learn from you. <laughs> and just yeah. to then members and teach, yeah, to teach then the congregations because it has to start somewhere. You know, I feel like that's the thing I've noticed in the church is it takes some brave people to start kind of talking about you know, more, these more progressive ways of tackling these issues. And then sometimes it just takes thinking about them and thinking, oh yeah, that does make sense. Like maybe there is a better, more loving way I can approach this with my kids or my youth that I am in charge of or whatever it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if you could create a family culture that their kids will come out to you, there's so much shame around sexual orientation. Uh, I've done hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and one of the themes is, is crippling shame that this part about me that society says is not good and comments in church say about people like me is not good. I feel so much shame that I don't feel like my parents would love me, God would love me. Satan is real and wants to destroy us, but I don't think he confuses people into being LGBTQ, but he resides in our shame and I'm kind of holding my chest <laughs> Um, yeah. And he can give us false lies that, which are logical given what the, the narrative that people feel that aren't straight. And I think he can separate an LGBTQ youth from the love of heaven, heavenly parents. 
Um, so one of the best things we can do as leaders, as parents, is take away shame um, and just acknowledge this is who you are. I don't think our heavenly parents look at a straight child or an LGBTQ child and look at them any differently. I think they both need to look like they're created as intended and they're not a mistake. And if one of your listeners is closeted LGBTQ, I think you should look in the mirror and think this part about you is a good thing. Just like straight people, it's a good thing. And you should have a relationship with God and you should take the shame out of how you are because this is how you are. That doesn't change church teachings or church doctrine. It just puts us all on the same moral footing. And then if parents can create a space for kids to come out, especially, you know, in the teenage years because of the culture they're creating their families, the shame often is lowered. The suicidal ideation is often lowered and the parents just say, I'll walk with you. Y'all invite you to follow church teachings. I hope you find a way to stay in the church because that's my hope for you. But I will walk with you on the road that you feel is best. And there'll be a fork in the road that at some point in your life teenage kid where you've got to figure out what road you're going to take but let's you may not need to make that choice until your 20s so you can just work on developing your very best spiritual foundation emotional help physical help um and and not and just i'll walk with you um so that when you decide what fork in the road is best for you you know you'll be in the you'll be your very best self to do that so it's a real blessing if parents create a culture that their teenage kids that aren't straight can come out to them. Yeah. So I love the way you're talking about it and I sense in your own families. Yeah. And it is complicated yeah. and there is fear. So parents, just like you said, that fear feel for it's fearful. It's a new thing. But a lot of parents that I meet with say, this is the thing that actually, the thing I was the most scared about is the thing that actually brought our family together in a way I never thought possible because we learned how to talk about complicated things. And our whole communication skill structure in our family significantly improved. We're vulnerable, we're real, um, and our whole family's stronger than it's ever been because we've had to process complicated stuff. It's like Apollo 13. I sometimes say this on my podcast. You know, in Apollo 13, the, the whole NASA um, says this is our the worst thing, and Gene Kratz steps forward and says, excuse me, sir, sir I think this is our finest hour. So some of these parents have a gay kid, just think this is the worst thing that could ever happen. But then they come to this point, and actually it's our finest hours of family. And this LGBTQ youth has brought us so much joy and perspective and love. We wouldn't change this for the world. Yeah. Wow, I just feel like, I don't know, like a little bit emotional. I just feel so much <laughs> love coming from you. And I really hope that um, any parent or any child that, um, can feel and listen to you, Richard, and take your, just your wisdom and the love that you have for these people and kids and families. I just, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I do too. And yeah, we need them. I used to think my job was to kind of be in a space to rescue LGBTQ people and amplify their voices. There's a little bit of that, but you know, Lindsay and Chantel, they've rescued me. They have taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ that nobody else has ever taught me. Things like love and compassion and empathy and belonging and grace and re forgiveness. And um, we need them as part of the body of Christ that Paul talks about, where every part of the body of Christ is needed. And we lose a lot of LGBTQ people that want to stay, but they just don't hear kind things about people like them. Church doesn't become a safe place. Um, not because of our doctrine, just because of the ongoing negative comments about people like them. Some leave because of our doctrine, but some don't. They just don't feel welcome <laughs> because of who they are and they can't undo it. So, you know, part of Zion is, is I think of the gathering of Israel, which is a term we use. And I still think of that family in the faraway country playing for the, praying for the missionaries to knock on their door. And then I think of our own people. I think of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, for they are Israel. And what are we doing to gather them? We're called to be gatherers, not sifters. Um, no, our congregation should be this place of gathering and not sifting. Um, Elder Uchtdorf said, there's no sign at the door that says your testimony should be this tall to enter. And he's teaching a principle that everybody should be welcome. And there's no, there's no belief or behavior hurdle to be welcome in an LDS congregation. The gate is wide. 
The temple, there's narrowing, but the gate is wide. And everything about Jesus' ministry should teach us that our congregations and our families, unless there's a toxic relationship, should be loving and accepting and inclusive and loving. And then we help people make better decisions if we're in an environment like that in the first place. Right. You know, I was thinking about something you said earlier, too, where the community... Um, you know, it kind of goes back to if we can make loving environments in our families, but if then they come out and they feel that love in the community, because these kids, like, this community is their second family. You know, I know that growing up in the church, it was my second family. And so for them to come out and then maybe feel shunned or looked at or othered could be so hurtful. And this is all they know, you know, so it starts with our families, but I think your message and, and spreading it to the church, you know, and that's why it's so important as parents with active children and who are in the church to talk about this because otherwise they're going to have friends. I mean, we all, all of our kids know kids that have come out if they're over the age of 10 or 11, you know, I think <laughs> so trying to create that space because like you're saying, if they don't feel the shame in the community, that could be so huge for them. And then they can still be a part of that community. That's so meaningful and like a pl- a safe place for them. And then as they get older and, like you were saying, getting to their 20s, figure it out. You know, maybe their path will keep them there. Maybe not, depending on, you know, who they meet and where life takes them. But in those formative years to still have their church community love and support them and not feel shame there, I think that could be so huge for them. You know, and helping these kids when we talk about the suicide rates and we know that they are higher in Utah. And I think this is probably a huge part of that, you know. So breaking down that shame and that exclusivity um anyway and i get emotional i have a a close family member i mean it's her story so i don't want to share it um i don't want to take a bunch more time but it's a really um tender issue for me myself so i really appreciate you sharing one thing i was thinking you know there's people that leave the church because they don't feel accepted you know in the lgbt community and it's not because the doctrine, it's because they just don't feel accepted. And then there's those that leave maybe other issues besides the LGBTQ issue. But I listened to your podcast that you had with your brother and another woman. I wish I would have written Jerry. Jerry Lee. Jerry Lee. Yeah, oh. she's, I'm yeah. familiar with her. So mm-hmm. they talked about um, a Facebook group they have for parents of kids that have left the church, um, you know, because his book is about that, building bridges between, you know, people that have left and people that stayed. But one thing that I loved... Um, you guys talked about in there, and I think it was Jerry Lee said, you know, she used to have this concept of empty chairs and she didn't want any empty chairs in heaven and she didn't want any empty chairs in the temple. And when she found some of her kids, I think leaving the church as well as coming out, you know, as part of the LGBT community, she decided she was going to think of that as empty chairs in her home. And I don't know why I'm so emotional today. Um, I know, me too. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful because it just kind of takes the pressure off these, you know, their children, because they, they do want to still feel loved by their parents, obviously, and accepted. And if, you know, she's creating this home and this space that no matter where you're at with your testimony, no matter where you're at with your sexuality, you are loved and accepted in our home. And I don't want there to ever feel anybody that wouldn't want to be at our table. And I just find that so beautiful, because I do think that's a tender spot for, you know, parents whose kids have left the church i mean it they the church is so important to them and it brings them so much happiness and joy and so when they see children walk away i can see how it'd be super hard for them um to think of those empty chairs but but maybe think about the empty chairs today and make sure your family feels loved and accepted and i just love that message from jerry lee and from from you and david in that episode it was beautiful yeah i love that yeah i'm glad you brought that up and i sometimes think let's preserve the relationship versus control the outcome and it's a little bit relieving as LDS parents. We don't want children to step away, but if that, if adult children or late teenage children step away, there's a grief period, but I think there's an acceptance period. And we just say, these are our heavenly parents' children first, and I'm going to preserve the relationship and leave everything at the Savior's feet. Um, and sometimes the relationship is so much around the church, the connection between parent and child is the church and so much and so they have to kind of re rebuild that relationship around other things and usually there's wonderful things that bring common ground in a family grandkids trips experiences and so but it's a it's a different set of skills and that facebook group you mentioned is 
um, for active Latter-day Saints who have adult children that have left, and it's a pretty terrific group. There's real grief there, but there's real community there in saying, this is how I'm navigating it. This is a church leader, church quote, or something that gives me hope um, so that, yeah, my mortal reality has changed from what I hope, but I would not conclude, I wouldn't have anybody conclude your the eternal possibilities of change because of where your adult children are at this point. Just don't try to figure out what it all means eternally because I don't think we all understand what it means eternally. Let's just do what we can, what's in our circle of control, which is usually no empty chairs, like you said, Chantel, at family dinner and vacations. Yeah, and I love that because she also mentioned, you know, kind of what you're talking about with the eternal kind of perspective, and we don't quite know how that works. Um, that she also said, you know, for her, she said, I need to remind myself that the Savior saves, but my my job is Whoa. to love. Mm-hmm. I love so that. It wasn't her, so I, cause I think she felt, I got that, you know, I think parents do that it's their fault. What did I do wrong? Yeah. I didn't raise them right. I didn't teach them right. But it's it's not that at all. And so I think to have her, have her recognize that it's not, her job is just to love. And that could end up saving them in her, whatever way she, you know, they need to be saved if they're, if they do need to be. But, you know, if she believes the savior is going to save, then she can leave that to him and then she can just love. And that's where the empty chairs, you know, that they will feel like they want to be there at her table because they feel loved and accepted for who they are and where they are. Love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So good. All right. (laughs) I don't know why. I know. So emotional. I feel like, okay, getting a hold of myself here. (laughs) I just, I knew going into the conversation, it would be really beautiful because I listened to your podcast and read, you know, some of the things you have said and written and, um, but yeah, it's, you're even more just loving and accepting and understanding (laughs) than, um, yeah. It gives me a lot of hope and I've been following you for quite a while, you know, on my personal account before we even started the podcast and stuff. So I've just loved seeing that and just appreciated it so much. And yeah, like going back to just what I said before, I feel like if there, there can just be more of this, then it can just help our community so much and help the culture here. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. I feel like you've kind of covered most of the stuff that we talked about in our kind of your outline that you helped fill out for us. Um, but um, if you have any more, like... I'd love to tell a quick story. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to hear it. This kind of goes back to my mission. My mission president's Ellis Ivory, and I've been home for my mission for 40, 35 years, and he's still alive. He's in his early 80s. He was in his 40s. And when we got to England, he felt the culture was too much us versus the Church of England, and we were demonizing them in an unhealthy way. And so he wanted to change the culture, so he held an all-mission conference in a church of England. Just think oh, of that for a minute. And the vicar spoke. Oh, wow. And we, f- and we felt the spirit. It's exactly what our mission president wanted to have happen. None of us joined the Church of England, but we just learned that the Church of England are good people. And we learned we could take our message of the restored gospel, and it didn't need an enemy or a bogeyman to drive it home. It could stand on its own merits. We could have a fact-based discussion between us and the Church of England without making them villain. And our baptism soared. And so I, Brene Brown talks about common enemy intimacy. True belonging is, I mean, common ent- intimacy is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond we hate is simply we say, hate the same people, yeah, we have connection. It's intense, immediate, um, immediate and gratifying, but it's not long-term connection. So if we go to church and just bag on gay people or bag on people that are out of the church or bag on other religions or, you know, I don't want to be too negative because I don't think we do that. But I think a higher, holier law is where we just we say kind things about other groups of people. Um, Even if we're in a political party, we can just have a fact based discussion between our political party and another political party without just looking for fear-based content to talk about how evil they are. That just accelerates anxiety and tension and divisiveness. So I think we can look at our congregations and say, we got to live a higher, holier law. Um, and we can stand for our own doctrine, but have say kind things about other people. And I just think that's part of improving our culture. And we can teach the family pro- proclamation and not, you know, use as a chance to sort of 
dig on LGBTQ people. In fact, we can open the door and say, this is our doctrine and our teachings, but if you're gay and you feel like you can't marry someone of the opposite sex, there's really, this doesn't answer how to do that. It just reminds you of what's not possible in your life. And so I, I support our teachings on the family proclamation, but I recognize it doesn't tell an LGBTQ person how to do LGBTQ. And so we just have to mature enough as a faith to recognize those nuances and be honest about that. And so that's just part of, I think, growing as a faith and creating more understanding and empathy. Um, so just some more comments on um, how to come together as the same body of Christ and support each other. And yeah, and if you've got a family member that's left the church, I, we've kind of talked about that. I always invite people to stay, but I always tell them I'll walk with them. Um, and I, my relationship's not a transactional relationship where they have to be in the church to have my friendship. It's just love. Love to me is an unconditional, non-transactional relationship that isn't based on their performance. It's just based on the grace of love. And I will love you. And I won't love you to get you to come back. I'll love you just because you deserve to be loved. And it's relieving to sort of be in that space and say, I can just love people and they're not a project. Yeah, some people, because you extend unconditional love, if they have a change of heart, they'll probably open up to you first because they haven't had to dig their heels in to justify their path. But I love people just because they deserve to be loved and will honor their agency, even if it's different than the path I'm walking. Yeah, that's great. That's really Thank good. you. I, you know, I've um, stepped away from the church for about the last five years or so, and I I will have to say I have felt very um, welcomed with love, and I feel good. like the people in our, you know, in my ward, neighborhood, and, and just community has been loving. and I think right. it's... That's a credit to you, Chantel, and a credit <laughs> to your community. Well, I do want to thank, yeah, they are all have been really great and loving and accepting, and I haven't felt anything change you know kind of sound like what you said that they didn't they weren't they weren't you know being my friend or loving me for my belief system but for who i am so i that's great find that really to be a beautiful thing and so glad definitely all right well should we with our wrap-up question yeah unless you have anything else do you have anything else no just you're doing good work and if you're lgbtq you're listening you know you're gonna be okay um hope you feel hope and You've got to sort of come out to yourself and accept this about yourself. Get rid of that internalized homophobia and um, come out to your heavenly parents and ask them how they feel about you. You might be surprised how they feel about you. And then you decide if you should come out to other people. Everybody's story is going to be different. Some will feel impressed to come out to others, some not. But I really invite you to do those two things in your journey to walk this road. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wanted to quickly, before we ask our last question, you wrote in your... um, in your outline, you said, don't develop opinions about groups of people until listening to many in that group. Be curious, be willing to be wrong, be uncomfortable, be more like Jesus. And I thought that was... Yeah, thank you, Chantel. It's so good. Um, well, and maybe we should share a little bit more about your um, social media and your podcast and what you're doing and then ask the wrap up. Yeah. So, yeah, can you share maybe with our listeners that aren't familiar with um, what you do, just a little bit more about that? So everything's under the Listen, Learn, and Love brand. Um, You can't donate. It's just self-funded labor of love. That's partly where I feel I should do this, given my station in love. But Listen, Learn, and Love is sort of my own process to to try to get to where I am. I had to listen. I had to be willing to learn, and then I can better love. So we have a podcast where I don't talk much because I want to amplify the stories of listeners, of my guests, who are really the heroes. And I have Twitter and a Facebook and a Instagram and written a couple books. Just um, try to improve um, these comp, just talk about these complicated issues um, to better create Zion. And Zion to me is, um, I think of the city of Enoch. And one of the things we know about the city of Enoch, which we call Zion people, there's no poor among them. And to me, that's symbolic of us coming together as, as the body of Christ to use our differences to then be able to lift more people than we could in our sameness. And so that's men and women, that's straight and gay, that's different races, different everything, that if we're unified on outwardly helping people. So that's what we're trying to do with Listen, Learn, Love, is to reduce divisiveness and create Zion 
by helping everybody feel loved, accepted, and appreciated. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, we'll list all of his yeah spots. And then you have your books. And, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty amazing how much... Now, me and Chantel have an idea of how much time this is, but we've only done like five episodes so far. Yeah. We're just barely into it. But you've done hundreds, you said, right? Yeah, 500, I think, right? We're in oh. the 500s, so. So that takes like true love and passion in what you're doing to, I think, continue that. And like you said, you're not, you know, profiting off of this or anything. It's just all a labor of love. So I really just have huge admiration for that and that I'm sure it takes you a lot more time than people even realize because there's a lot of behind well, behind the scenes work there. So. There is, and there's lots of people that reach out and just know your safe place, just like you two. And and by the way, I I think it's great what you're doing. Even though I host a podcast, my goal is to see other podcasts be successful, and grow and reach. This is and so when I hear hear your podcast and you reached out, I just think it's awesome the work that Lindsay and Chantel, you two are doing, and I. Your voices are very kind and thoughtful, and you have a personal story in there, but I just, you're doing good work. Um, I sense you're not flamethrowers, but you want to bring us together. (laughs) Yes, exactly, definitely. And so thank you for the work you're doing. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, you mentioned Brene Brown a lot, which obviously we learned so much from her. Mm -hmm. And then it got me thinking, one of her quotes you said was kind of like the, my, I know theme of our podcast about you, there's no one you couldn't love once you've heard their story. So. Wow. Love that. That's kind of our whole idea. So, yeah. which I think ties in really well to yours as well. Like, yeah. Listen, learn and love. Hearing the people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we always like to ask at the end of an interview, um, how you find beauty in life after going through this transition. So maybe <laughs> you could share a little bit about that. Well, I spend time with my good wife and we love to travel. So that's probably my favorite thing. And I learned I'm also an introvert from one of my podcast guests because they were describing the characteristics of an introvert. And I thought, that's me. (laughs) So I recognize why I love my long walk in the morning alone. Mm. Um, So that's the other thing I do is spend time with my wife, travel and our family and lots of time alone in a long morning walk. (laughs) I love that. I like that too. I relate to that. Need my alone and, time yeah. too. And I do love serving in the temple. Um, that's been a really good place for me. And I don't want to get too tangent on that, but sometimes the temple. Well, I'm not, I just enjoy serving the temple. Let's leave it at that. I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, appreciate that. That's great. Yeah, it's not wonderful to have a place that brings you peace for sure. So yeah. Well, this I knew this was going to be a good interview, and but I, it's better than I thought. Yeah, me. Well, <laughs> I yeah. love what we've learned from you, and hope others can learn from you yeah. as well. And we're grateful you made the time for us. We know you're busy and have a lot going, so thank you so much. And we can't, I can't wait for people to hear this. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be really good. And my parents are so excited. They're like, "You're going to talk to Richard Osler?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> so I'm excited to share it with them. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay and Chantel. Okay, thank you. All my love. Yes, same. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribed to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life Take a chance, I won't be wrong, yes, I 
Take this trip.